1: no pressure. Welcome to Arcast 2020. The idea for this obviously because of COVID-19 that architectural conference uh, that the AIA puts on every year was canceled. It was supposed to be right in my backyard this year. Uh I think Cormac was going to come sleep over. <laughs> we were going to have a Arca Speak sleepover. Um different rooms uh, and <laughs> and uh, it would just drive into the the conference every day and so that obviously didn't happen and so our idea was to do what we did last year and have some fun pretend like the conventions still going on that's why we've got these beautiful backgrounds right here see there's Lance there's mark uh, this was from from last year when we did the same thing and get under the big red a at the R cat booth And so that's why it's called Rcast because we're podcasters at the Rcat booth and uh, bring the R4 podcast together. We've got ArcaSpeak, Entree Architect, Inside the Firm and Spaces Podcast. And uh, we're streaming from five different locations, but all together under the Big Red A today. Uh, and And we're having guests join us and we're going to talk about architecture and we're going to talk about what's going on in the world and we're going to talk with uh, some really cool people, some leaders in the industry, along with these other fine hosts as well and uh, hopefully it'll just be a fun thing to do and and uh, people can watch and and just get a little bit of entertainment, but also get a little bit of insight into what's going on in architecture and what leaders are thinking and doing in. And across the country. So welcome, everybody, to Arcast 2020. And we thought we'd go around the, the world here and just talk about, maybe everybody do a little intro. Um, I will just start right now, just because I'm already talking. So I'm Evan Troxell. I'm one half of the Archite- the Arcaspeak podcast, uh, arcaspeakpodcast.com. You can find the shows there. And uh, we love talking about architecture. Um, our most recent episodes uh, we're just totally nerding out on architecture and experience our architecture because we can't do that right now. Um, so we've been having fun with that with Cormac and I, so Cormac, why don't you take it from there so that you can follow up on the second half of the ARCA speak podcast here?
2: Yeah. So I'm the uh, second half of the ARCA speak podcast and I am in the Washington DC area in Bethesda, Maryland. And, uh, Enjoying not having to commute an hour back and forth each day. Um, so that's the one plus, but yeah. Let me just hand it off to someone else to introduce themselves.
3: I'll go. I'm Alex Gore from inside the firm. I'm three quarters of inside the firm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and
4: I am the core quor- and the remaining quarter. And uh, wait, am I the co-host? How does it, how does it work? Every- I make up a new thing.
3: For Side, Sidekick. Yeah. Mike, Mic man. I was a mic man yeah. for a while. Mm-hmm. And hey, Cormac,
2: your volume yeah. was a little bit low. If you
3: bring it closer,
2: eat the mic. Oh, I, uh, I had to. I should have joined the tech, uh, the, um, tech review. Uh, oh. in the tech, tech check. check. I um, clearly am having a little bit of difficulty here switching from my Mac to a PC. So, of course, everything that, the, um, that we need, IT is blocking
5: so it <laughs> sounds much better now
2: <laughs>
5: yeah Good. yeah so lance do you want to introduce yourself you just said you are a quarter of the show
4: I'm the, co-host. I'm the co-host and alex's business partner uh at f9 productions and inside the firm and uh we're glad to be back we were with you guys last year at uh, in person we can't be there obviously this year so this i think we're making the best out of it um so there you go
1: I am just waving to a listener who texted me.
5: <laughs> All right. Demetrius, you want to introduce yourself?
6: Yeah, I'll jump in. I am Demetrius Lynch, uh, one-third of Spaces <laughs> Podcast. I have two other hosts, Michelle and Jason, uh, who are not with us, not here today. Um, and Spaces Podcast, we discuss architecture, uh, specifically spaces, and kind of how society has evolved and uh impact it, how we design and build our spaces. And we sort of break down the walls between uh, each little sliver of our building industry and try and highlight all the different components that people bring to creating a space. Um, yeah, I think that covers, covers my intro.
5: <laughs> all right. Uh, I am Mark Arlepage. I'm the founder of Entre Architect, the host of Entre Architect podcast uh, we talk about business. Try to help uh, small firms build better businesses, um, and we recently launched Gable Media, which is a new multimedia uh, network that is dedicated to the AEC industries, and we are um, empowering leaders in AEC to uh, to build podcasts and videos and that kind of thing, and
6: uh, share their expertise.
5: And, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, you can go check that out at gablemedia.com. And we have some news, too, if you want to jump into that and talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, me? Yeah, go ahead, Demetrius. <laughs> but actually, I, let me let me just also add to Demetrius' uh, introduction. He is the creative director at Gable Media. And so much of the, the new content that's coming out of Gable Media, like Build Your Brand Podcast and the new show that was launched yesterday, um, Evelyn Lee and Janine Chastain with uh, Practice Disrupted, uh, the sounds coming out of that, the mixing and the and the quality that's coming out of those shows is is all due to Demetrius. The the hosts are doing a fantastic job, uh, but Demetrius is doing a lot of editing and producing and, uh, and doing some really high quality work over there. So,
6: yeah, a lot of fantastic content coming out because uh, I get to hear all of this before the rest of the world uh, in editing and sort of crafting some of this stuff. Uh, great conversations. Talking about um, you know the future of the the profession, uh, the business side of the profession, and then can I disclose our upcoming show?
1: Yeah, I think uh, so. I don't see why not.
6: Yeah, then we got a, a new show coming uh, next week. Yeah, on Tuesday.
5: Tuesday. Uh, I told you, yep.
6: And he can probably speak to it better than I can, but it is called TRXL. It's the Troxel Podcast. Um, So Evan is hosting his own individual podcast that's going to focus on technology, um, the design technology that's coming out and really changing the profession. So uh, Evan, you want to add some details to it?
1: Yeah. So Mark and I recently recorded a a little intro to that, like a a 20 minute teaser or something about just talking about what the show's about. And it's really is just what you said, Demetrius, it's how technology is changing our profession and the different people who are involved in actually doing that. So it's not just talking about tools. It's not just talking about workflows. It's actually talking about the thinking that goes behind implementing these and where the profession's going. So really excited to do it. They're long form conversations uh, our goal is to put out an episode every week and uh, and we're just having a lot of fun and, and allowing others to kind of be a fly on the wall during these these conversations and they tend to go all over the place and that's really the point is just to have you, you learn more about the guest, you learn more about me you learn more about technology you learn more about architecture. And that's really what it's what the purpose of the show is I'm really excited to do it.
5: Yeah, it sounds really good. Also, the the other news is that Arca speak- and Spaces Podcast, along with Entree Architect, it's all part of Gable Media. Uh, Gable Media was launched sort of from Entree Architect. We've uh, actually, yesterday was official, became a new entity, its own company. Um, So Gable Media Incorporated. And uh, so Entree Architect is there, Uh, ArcaSpeak is there, Spaces Podcast is there, Build Your Brand, Uh, Practice Disrupted, and now Troxel Podcast, and maybe someday, if we if we can get them to to come on over, we'll get inside the firm on the rock Gotta right. twist our
4: arm. Gotta twist, <laughs> twist all four arms. Yeah. They
5: they want cash. I think they want a big. I bucket think you have to cash. twist
1: Alex's because he's got more percentage of arms.
3: <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. And, and by twist our arms, he called us like two days ago, and we're like, yeah, we're in. It. <laughs>
5: so if anybody wants to uh, check out Gable Media, Gable is G A B L. Leave off the E, G-A-B-L Media.com, and you can find us all over there.
6: And I want to emphasize one thing before we jump off of this, is it is, I, I believe, I haven't done an extensive research on this, but I believe this is the only AEC-focused uh, multimedia network. So uh, this is it, folks. Come here, yeah. come to Cable Media to get all your content. While it's a little architecture-focused right now, um, it is branching out and uh, we got a lot of shows on the horizon that are going to venture out into uh, construction and engineering and uh,
5: building office, science building and building some science. Yeah. Talking to as well. So
3: speaking of awesome. that as, as um, newest members, I'll, I'll just state: <laughs> <laughs> What is your guys vision and, and is there a way to maybe take this into other media um, rather than just podcasts? It is planned to go video. And perfect. So video, and then have you talked to Eric, 30 by 40?
5: Uh, we all know Eric well. So we haven't had those conversations with Eric yet, but- uh, It'd
3: be a nice addition. You never yeah.
5: know. Yeah, without a doubt. We've we've talked behind the scenes, we've been talking about it, but we haven't approached Eric yet.
3: Right.
5: So now Eric may know
7: that we, we
5: may be not. on Hopefully he's watching <laughs> and you just broke the news. <laughs> yeah. We'll surround him. Yeah. So um, Kyra is on, on the, in the waiting room. So we, we have a few minutes before she comes in. But um, uh, what else do we need to talk about? Oh, it's Juneteenth. Happy yes. Juneteenth.
6: I wanted to um, say happy, Ju- happy Juneteenth, everyone. And for those that have joined this podcast or the, um, the feed and don't know what Juneteenth is, um, it is essentially... The, the misconception is that that's it's the end of slavery in the United States, but that's actually not accurate. Uh, slavery had ended two years prior to this date, but Juneteenth is actually the la- the the day that the last slaves which were located in Texas found out that they had actually been freed for two years, two and a half years, I think. Um, so this is a huge monumental day because it was the uh, you know, the last day that the final slaves were, uh, you know, officially freed—freed uh, freed in- individuals of uh, of the United States. Um, so it's a big day. It's been long celebrated within African American culture, um, uh, but is just now, uh, within the last few weeks, start to hit <laughs> the mainstream. It is
5: now officially mainstream.
6: Yeah, and I was talking off mic with, uh, with Mark and Evan about this. And the, the weird thing is, um, even in some pockets of the African-American um, community, I think not everyone was very aware or clear on what Juneteenth was. But um, I went to a school that was very uh, specific on teaching African-American history and culture uh, so I was clearly aware of this, this event um, in advance and for, for years. Uh, so it's been this weird transition for me mentally to see uh, what I've known all of a sudden come to the forefront over the last few weeks and for people to finally um, understand. And and the, the hard thing about it um, to come to realize and sort of uh, soul search within myself is... Um, Sort of the the mental break or lockdown that that I have had, and I I imagine others may have had, is not being able to talk about these sort of things because you're afraid of uh, offending someone or making it an awkward situation talking about these really heavy topics. Um, So it's just sort of been in the shadows for so many years. So it's it's such an amazing thing to see um, sort of this watershed watershed moment in our history where, um, you know, so many things are coming to light and so many people understand what, what has happened over the last, you know, really 400 years. But, um, some of the truths of the last 50 years, uh, particularly are finally coming to light and people are starting to, um, open their eyes and, and join in on, on this push. And this is, it's such a monumental, uh, year. It's, it's yeah. been insane to see this happen. And um, so hopefully you didn't turn this off when I started talking about this. Um,
5: I hope but, not. Cause it's yeah. an important topic. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we're, we're living through history right now. You know, yeah. 2020 will be in history books and it better be written properly.
6: <laughs> yeah. And that was another thing we talked about off mic is how, uh, while in school, like I mentioned, we went over African-American history, but we also had an American history book that we went through, and you put them side by side, and you can see an entire book full of content next to the American history book that m- so many of us have gone through, and there's pa- like a couple pages to certain events in history. Um, so that needs to be adjusted going forward. There's a lot of things that need to be um changed and, and, and looked at again because it's been a, it's been a long time coming <laughs> and I'm glad yeah. you're finally starting to catch some traction
5: well I'm I'm running the the tech side of this event here and so uh, I've just uh, invited Kyra to join us our first guest um, Kyra is the founder of America's hidden Gem, a platform uncovering the stories and works of black architects so welcome to uh, our cast 2020 Kyra you're muted so you're gonna have to unmute yourself there you go
0: thank you so much for having me
5: it's great to have you we're just we're just having a casual conversation here today so uh and Demetrius we should have brought Kyra in while you were talking because that would have helped us uh continue the conversation because there's there was no overlap here so yeah
6: no, oh, no problem. I, I, let me do a little primer intro for Kyra.
5: Yeah, yeah, please do.
6: We, I became aware of Kyra. She actually reached out to me um, to do a, a feature on America's Hidden Gym, And so that's how we connected initially, I think over LinkedIn, possibly. Um, so we had a few emails back and forth and answered some of her questions, did, did an interview with her. Um, so she put out a nice feature, uh, made me look better than I am. <laughs> um, and uh, so she's basically, I'll let her talk, talk a little bit more about it in detail, but she's basically created this platform. And I believe she also has a podcast as well, um, America's Hidden Gym Podcast. And she's created this platform to elevate um, black voices and experiences in the profession, because as many are finding out, they there's less than 2% um, black population in the, uh, or 2% black architects in the profession. Um, So she's helping elevate some of those stories. And one great quote that I heard was, um, you can't be what you can't see. And Kyra is playing a big part in bringing some of those stories to light um, to help uh, the youth understand what we can do in this industry. And I will let you take over and explain America's Hidden Gem a little bit more.
0: Well, you definitely explained it very well. Um, <laughs> most of what I um, would have said myself, but I guess very candidly, I'll refer back to how I described America's Hidden Gem on LinkedIn um, recently after um, my summit. I described America's Hidden Gem as being the platform for the student who is the only one in their design studio. Um, For the student who didn't have any mentors that they could relate to or just generally did not know because I mean personally for myself. I didn't know of any black architects until I got to college. So that was eye opening for me. Um, America's Hidden Gem is really for the emerging professional who is navigating their way through architecture, um, personally, um, it's been challenging. Um, it's been difficult, but I've managed to, you know, basically create opportunities out of my situation. Um, America's Hidden Gem is for those professionals who are, you know, fighting for bids or figuring out how to create their practice. They may need a mentor that they can look to. Um, but that is essentially what America's hidden gym is. It's really a platform, a space to connect people from the architects who have been practicing for like X amount of years to those who are still trying to figure out if they want to actually pursue architecture. So it's to me it's just a huge family um, concept that I created. So
5: how is it how is it accessed? Is it a website or how does it have,
0: yes, how is the um,
5: network built?
0: So I, I actually created the network on Instagram, but because I wanted to get the stories from each and every person, um, I decided to have a blog set up. So it's americashiddengem.wordpress.com, where I have, well, actually, let me just go ahead and give the background. So on Instagram, yeah. I have three, um, I have it set up where on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, each day is dedicated to an individual. So Monday's are mentor Monday, where I feature licensed black architects design or designers urban planners or ally professionals. Um, that is, that's the day for them. That's where you get to see those who have been practicing for 50 years to those who have only been practicing for five um, On Wednesdays, I have this concept or idea called midweek motivation. So I'll drop Um, song lyrics, quotes, um, if I don't know if Mr. Demetrius caught on but lately I've been dropping affirmations as well as my personal revelations that I may be having and I felt that everyone could benefit from it. Um, That's what I do on Wednesdays and on Fridays I have Future Architect Fridays. So for those students and emerging professionals who just recently graduated, that day is dedicated to them because to me, I personally feel like they deserve to be recognized because I know for myself and quite a few of my peers, it was a struggle to get through architecture. And every single person I've talked to, we've all felt alone. So to have a day just dedicated to them so they can feel seen and recognized, that's what I did, so.
6: Yeah, what um what were some of the more most powerful um, stories that you heard when you, when you've, that you've been doing this, this, um, these interviews and in this whole platform?
0: Whew. there's actually been quite a few. Um, and some of them have, It's it's been more so a combination of the interview and conversations that I've had with um, individuals. Um, for instance, one young lady, she was featured on Future Architect Friday. I won't give, I won't give people names, <laughs> but um, through conversation with her, she basically told me that she went through architecture school and she basically decided she doesn't want to pursue architecture. And to me, that was powerful within itself because you've come so far and you've made it and you've gone through, you know, the ups to just, just the whole concept, like the whole idea of architecture school, you went through it and for you to make a decision where you don't want to pursue it. To me, that was, that was, jaw dropping. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that really affected me. Cause I was like, I, I, I feel that way too. <laughs> um, sometimes, <laughs> um, um, another one would be a gentleman, one of my mentors, he wrote down for one of his obstacles that I guess after the conversion, I believe from 4.0 to 5.0 mm-hmm. or 3.0 to 4.0, mm-hmm. one of those two, um, he lost six of his seven exams Oh and he had to retake all of them. Oh, my God. So Sadly, every I'm single, <laughs> every every architect I've spoken to, they've told me they wouldn't want to go through that experience again. So for him to tell me that he had to retake six out of the seven exams that he already took, that was, personally, people will walk away from that. And for him to still say, Hey, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pursuing this. That was, that was heartwarming. That was, that was motivation and encouraging.
6: Did he happen to say why he felt that he needed to, to stick with it and and do it again?
0: Um, To say it in the most candid, frank way without being too blunt. um, Basically he had to get his stuff together Mm -hmm. and he knew what the ultimate purpose was, was, was to become a black licensed architect.
6: Mm-hmm. Like he did
0: not come this far to just stop.
8: Yeah.
6: Uh, I'm,
5: I imagine that there's a sense of obligation almost when people work that far and they know there's so few and that if they don't become one, then the number doesn't increase. Mm-hmm. Right. I've, I've talked to Sandra Little and, and I've interviewed her. She's uh, She is the founder of uh, Noir Design Party, a, a project with... Um, with Karen um, uh, Davis Burton uh, in Detroit. Uh, they are doing something similar where they're documenting the history of Detroit's black architects. And then I interviewed her again because she merged her company um, with Quinn Evans. Quinn Evans acquired mm-hmm. her company and I, I interviewed her. That episode hasn't come out yet. Um, but we talked about that, that 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 there's a sense of obligation almost that you, you decide to become an architect. And um, if it's, if there's that, I think many of us, as we become architects, we, we, because it's difficult, right? It's really hard to become an architect. And so there are times in that journey where you question whether it's the right thing. And some some of us say, well, maybe I'm not cut out to be an architect. And I think in a situation uh, that we're talking about here, um, black architects have even more pressure to proceed, right?
6: Yeah, yeah and I wanted to kind of touch back on something that Kyra mentioned where, um, she didn't find out about another black architect until college. Uh, it was the same for me. I, I, I knew about architecture and what it was generally. You design buildings and uh, didn't really have any person in my mind specifically that was an architect. I knew of historically there was Imhotep who was um, a he was sort of a god of architecture in Egypt and that was my guiding star from like third grade. And I, was, I actually didn't know what he really looked like. Um, but you know so little about uh, black culture or black uh, architects. And then another example is I didn't even know until after school that there was a, uh, a, sponsor or a scholarship offered through AIA. Um, So these type of things aren't really promoted and spread out uh, because one people uh, that come from backgrounds with a few resources aren't able to um, get certain scholarships or or it's difficult to navigate their way through and then they don't have the the knowledge or um, aren't aware that certain Things exist, like the AIA scholarship, so that's not promoted that much. Um, so I wanted to mention that as well. But these type of things need to be talked about and elevated and um, filtered down to schools by the AIA by uh, Noma. Uh, all of these conversations need to act, happen more actively. So,
5: yeah, and I think it needs to happen more consistently because I think with the events of the last few weeks, a lot of organizations, a lot of companies are making big changes and making big big gestures and making things very aware aia has 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 been sending out emails and have developed sections on their websites that's great yeah but that needs to continue it needs to become part of our regular uh, existence throughout all of our society it can't just happen you know once a year on june 19th or it can't just happen when you know when when uh you know when people start protesting it needs to happen forever yeah. Right? And we all need to come together and, you know, uh, it needs to just be part of our, our existence. Yeah.
4: The, my experience with, uh, I'm glad you mentioned NOMA because I, I had a scholarship um, through NOMA um, going, through, going through college, but I was also a McNair scholar. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the McNair Scholars Program, Demetrius. No. So he, he, he was a black, um, he was a black, the first black astronaut. Mm-hmm. And so then, uh, now he, ha- there's this great foundation. So I did two theses as, as a native American, uh, in, at North Dakota state mm-hmm. and that, that was really helpful. So that was, that was I guess, my shining star for seeing, yeah. um, and being, and being involved with that.
3: And, but I don't, you can tell us, did you know about that until you got into college? No. Do you, your high school friends that are native Americans probably no. don't know about that? No. Yeah. I mean, as far as, far as my, I'm a minority in, in
4: architecture and I think that is that, that it's just, there's nothing spoon fed to us. Yeah. Like, uh, especially, but I think it's for, for me, I can only speak about me. <laughs> for me, it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you, for the family that I grew up in, I was the first to go to get a bachelor's first to get a master's um, to anything like to really go to a university. And it's it, because, because of the lack of experience when I went to college and then going with all, with, all, with mostly Caucasian mm-hmm folks, it was just a cultural difference of like everybody seemed a little bit more aware and more prepared Yep, and I had some catching up to do um, so but I, for me it was only just cultural. It was just that I came from a very small town. It's, it's sort of this, uh, it's, it's tech, not technically an Indian reservation but we do, I did grow up in socialized health, healthcare, socialized housing, mm-hmm. uh, socialized medicine um, a, lot, a lot of stuff like that. You know, like we even would get uh, $75 each, each basketball season for like a pair of shoes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, we just were not prepared no matter how much everybody tried even in, in high school until we finally got to college. And then it was it was just an uphill battle just kind of learning the curve of how, where you can go for scholarships, doing a bunch of research on your own and stuff like that but once you did once I did open up all of those doors I mean the opportunities were there if you if, you, if I if you applied yourself and I did because um, at the end of the day I, I also got a cultural diversity tuition waiver it wiped all of my tuition away for undergrad and grad and then I worked my butt off and ended up actually making money with scholarships yeah. um, but knowing where the doors are yeah. to me is where the difficulty really lies. So.
5: Yeah, I brought in our next guest, Damar Matthews. Damar, you need to unmute yourself. Hi.
9: Hey, how are you?
5: And welcome. Welcome to our cast 2020.
9: <laughs> Thank you.
5: This is a two hour long conversation about wherever this conversation goes. So it's, uh, we have, we're welcome. To, we're, it's great to have you with us. Oh, thanks for having me.
6: Yeah. Ask Somebody De- want to
5: give, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Demetrius.
6: I asked DeMar to uh, join us. He came on my radar. Uh, he went viral with an article that he wrote. Um, what was this? In April of last year. It's been a while. Um, so uh, he wrote this article called A Black Architecture Education Experience. Uh, so he just touched on a few of those things that you mentioned, uh, Lance, about um, what it's like as a as a black uh, student in the architecture uh, education um, and this got featured on connect and was shared widely on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. I saw tons of people sharing it. You uh, happened to be Uh, releasing yours at the same time that I was about to release mine.
9: (laughs) Yeah, I actually saw yours uh, later and I was like, who did this first?
6: (laughs) (laughs) So I was uh, a few days away from publishing and then I saw DeMar's and I was like, "Ah, I got to feature DeMar or reference DeMar within (laughs) mine so he knows that I came after him.
9: I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, uh,
6: but it was a really great article. Well done, detailed his experience. Um, but I'll give it to you, Demar. To kind of talk a little bit about what what you talked about in your article.
9: Uh, yeah, sure.
6: Um, and what made you what made you write it?
9: Uh, <laughs> well, I guess I guess to describe the experience shortly, uh, we were in a review. And the professor is, you know, looking at all the work. And it was a pretty small class, so for some reason, they start saying, uh, you know, you could be like Zaha. You could be like Frank Gehry. And he's, or they're dishing out all these, you know, people. And then they get to my work. And uh, they're like, you could be like Obama. I don't know. I don't know any Black architects. And I'm like, you that's know that probably and,
5: didn't go over so well,
9: and so you know, and it's you're in this weird place because first I'm thinking, all right, what are my options of handling that <laughs> because I'm instantly I'm instantly mad, yeah, but uh, you know, it was either do it right here, direct in front of everybody, I'm like, that's probably not that's probably not gonna be the best way, so uh, we got a assignment that same day, and it was on something called intertextuality. And it was where you can kind of blend in uh, words that other people have said to make, you know, a new statement. It's kind of like uh, collaging other people's words to, to make something. So I went and took just everything I could find from articles with uh, people of color speaking about how they feel isolated in moments. And I sent it, you know, cause I was, I was upset the whole night. I'm just sitting there and, you know, luckily that was the assignment. So I, I did the assignment and then separately, I did a full page on just this thing, you know, and what it was and, uh, sent it to the professor and they spoke to me the next day and, you know, were apologizing and saying, he realized how insensitive it was and um, then said I should write about it. And uh, so I did. And um, really, it was just to kind of get it off because I was still frustrated at how I had to kind of deal with this thing. You know, I already felt isolated being the only <laughs> Black person in graduate school of architecture. Um, but then it's like just put on blast right there you know and so yeah i was just i was kind of frustrated and i was just kind of ready to it was already bubbling so i just i just wrote it
5: did you ever have a conversation face to face with that professor after he apologized
9: yeah the the conversation was face to face when he was apologizing he they asked to to meet in person so uh, which, you know, I respect and our relationship is good, you know, yeah. now, you know, they, they realized. And so, yeah, I don't, and it's moments like that because it could have really, I didn't know that it was going to go that way. Cause the way, the other way it could have went, could have been at my demise really.
5: Yeah. It would uh, not have been good.
9: Yeah. Or if this thing, if no one, if I didn't write this thing, you know, that it really could have just died right there.
5: Yeah. Yes, exactly.
9: And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm glad I did it. I,
3: I have a question for you. Just I, I haven't read the article, but I'm wondering too if it was not only the fact that he couldn't bring up a black architect, but that- I, I instantly thought David Ajay. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, you he were pretty- <laughs> I thought Paul Williams. I was <laughs> thinking, <laughs> of, the
9: whole great? time I'm thinking, give me Paul. <laughs> but,
3: <laughs> but was it also the fact that he couldn't- have said any of the regular names like like if i, I oh there's yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't about the work
5: doesn't have to be a black that's architect, that's architect. That's the next the crazy
3: Deed, and it's a male and it doesn't matter because it's yeah. you know that's just it fits the style so was it basically both of those like he could have said zahad adid and that would have been fine if your style matched her style i would not have cared which
9: I, he could have said anybody and i'd have been like all right yep. <laughs> but it's weird that no, it wasn't about the work yeah 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 and I and I mean that that speaks to yeah so many other things to, yeah it speaks to a lot
5: just so everybody knows anybody who's listening live and later with the recording I did post a link in the, um, the this is live on the Entree Architect Facebook page so you can go to the Facebook page and there's a link there um, and it's also going live to ourcast uh, cast 2020.com uh, there's no we don't have the ability to link there but it's on the Entree Architect Facebook page if anybody wants to go g- grab a link to that?
6: Then I wanted to make uh, make sure that I also highlight the fact that uh, we talked about there are less than two percent black people in uh, the architecture profession, are uh, licensed black architects, um, but there's even less um, black women. It's like just over five hundred, I think, right now. It's definitely five
5: hundred.
6: Yeah. Four eighty-eight. Yep. Four eighty-eight. Oh wow. Um, so four eighty eight um, that 's not okay <laughs> so so there there needs to be some structural changes about how we handle this stuff going forward, um, how we promote the profession, where we promote the profession, um, because a diverse and we there 's so many studies that show this diverse companies excel above any other a diverse profession will excel um, and we just have to. Really think about how we approach this as a profession, um, where we talk to people and how we talk to people. Um, and then, Kyra, I wanted to also transition to see if you had featured Demar, and if you haven't, here's Demar. You guys can connect.
0: <laughs> I've already featured Demar. I think okay. I featured DeMar, um, was it before you or after?
6: <laughs>
0: I definitely featured Demar.
6: It was a while,
0: yeah. Okay,
6: yes. cool um yeah so so can you guys I, I one one story when you were talking about your uh your review one story that popped into my head about myself was I was applying for I was also applying for art school and I had a whole portfolio of a bunch of different artwork and there was one page that had uh rappers that I had uh, like a collage of wrappers that I had drawn and uh the person was like oh, this is really, really good. You should stick with what you know. And I was like, <laughs> wow, okay. Um, thanks for that. <laughs> uh, so same situation. And it's it's just so shocking that some of the things that come out of people's mouths with literally no filter, uh, it can be astonishing. Um, have you guys had any, or Kyra, have you had any experience like that?
0: Um, I've, I've had experiences where they didn't come out and say things to me, but I'm always one to think of things, um, introspectively. I, I was personally going through things and they may have said something like, oh, well you need, to... actually during my thesis, um, I found out that my aunt had cancer, but I didn't tell my thesis advisor. So we were doing pinups and they were just going through like, oh, um, you need to fix this. This is, you're behind, da-da-da-da-da just, just commentary that I did not have an issue with, but it just, it got to me personally because of what I was going through. Um, but luckily for me, no, I didn't have anyone come at me sideways. Luckily that that's a blessing. So. (laughs)
6: Uh, Damar, you had talked a little bit about, um, feeling isolated and then in your article, you talked about that and, um, and resources, uh, lack of resources. Can you expand on that a little bit in this conversation today? Yeah,
9: I think uh, you know, I I didn't know <laughs> that I was lacking in resources really, and I didn't know how different architecture was in terms of expenses through a semester, and. So I went in, you know, I know we typically would get lab fees or something like that. So I'm saying a hundred bucks should get me through the <laughs> semester, 200. But, uh, you know, it's gone so quickly that that money goes so quick and everybody else in my class didn't have to work, you know, through my first year, there was no one else working. And and I think that continued probably until maybe my second or third year, there were one or two other students, international students who would work, but, people could just, it seemed like everything was there. If they wanted a 3d print, I can do it. You know what I mean? That means I can wait until the last minute and get this built and it's going to look beautiful yeah. <laughs> or, you know, compared to me where I was driving for Lyft right before a review to be able to get the money to print for the review. Wow. And it, you know, um, and then you know you already are on this grind where you're so focused to get to something and to be ready to print and look in your account and you don't got you know to think about that it makes you it makes you just want to have like a it's breakdown that stress. nobody can really understand at the moment you know and then you need to still go and do the review
8: yeah. <laughs> but yeah.
9: uh, so i think that it, it can hit you in sort of these these different ways working you know i, I worked so much over architecture school and i did that for undergrad as well but i never realized how much of a how much it takes you away from just learning architecture in the way you're supposed to you know yeah. if you got to leave studio early to get to work
6: um yeah so the it, mental strain so. I, I think that's one of the things that people don't understand is the mental strain that all of these things can have on you um i literally broke down <laughs> in the middle of a home depot um it it's it's very trying to have to go through that. But um Lance mentioned like a bunch of the opportunities that he was able to get uh financial uh, scholarships and things like that. Why do you guys think um that's an obstacle for us? Um any thoughts yeah. on Yeah, go ahead.
0: You wanna take that first, Damar or
9: uh, sure. I I think uh on one hand it it is just being aware of the options. Um, I know I wasn't aware of many options and then when I kind of started to find out what the options were, it was like my third year, you know, or close to my third year. So I would get and win, you know, small scholarships uh, that would kind of help. But really with 37,000 and a, you know, it, it's just a lot of times it's not enough. if You know, if you don't, know on time or know earlier kind of know when everyone else knows i
0: guess. i'll definitely um agree with damar on that aspect um personally i didn't become aware of architecture um scholarships until like maybe either i walked into the front office and i found a book but the scholarship was six months ago <laughs> so it's definitely it's just a matter of finding out at the time that you actually need it. Um, for me, because I was in grad school, I didn't find out about things until probably around my thesis year. Like, And I'm about to graduate, but I've already done X, Y, Z, so it didn't benefit me at all,
5: so. It sounds like there's a gap between the scholarships and the people who need them. And so yeah. there needs to be some sort of infrastructure that's put in place that, that can bring that. Because it, it's not that the opportunities aren't there, it's that you don't know the opportunities yeah. are there.
6: Right, and that's a nod to to the other issue is the uh, education system, and the, the the poor education system. A lot of other, a lot of well funded schools have um, are set up to to groom their students for the next step. Um, I, the biggest scholarship known to man, the FAFSA. I didn't find out until the FAFSA about the FAFSA <laughs> until like the last possible second, I had just enough time to apply and got a little bit of money from FAFSA. Um, and which then, is,
5: which is federal tuition. Yeah, right. it's, fe- it's federal. It's a federal grant.
6: Yeah. Which you would think everybody would know. Yeah. Um, so there, there's definitely this gap of uh, preparing students from uh, quote, disenfranchised communities um, of getting to that next step. And it, it, there's a lot of uh, unknown and unacknowledged uh, obstacles, hurdles to to get through, um, yeah. and and that's the problems that people see all of these things that are out there and available, and they're like, why are you complaining? It's there. And it's like I didn't know it was there. Yeah. I don't know how to get to that. Yeah. Um, and those
9: are first generation student problems. You yeah. know, yeah. when 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 your parents can't really guide you yeah they can't guide you they and there's advocate. no yeah. yeah there's no one else that we know most of the time who's kind of trying to get through what we're doing mm.
4: so yeah. even i think Susan, demar nailed Susan. it that, that that's exactly that's what i was fumbling to, to cite is that it's just that maybe you're probably the first one First minority, uh, you know, first, if you're, if you're a minority, you're probably, you're maybe one of the first ones to go to to a four year college in architecture, which is, you know, on the level of a doctor and attorney and all that stuff to go. So you just don't know. I mean, you're just kind of like a deer in the headlights and you're just waiting through the whole thing. Like for the McNair scholarship that I got, um, he, when I was, when I was, when I was doing that for two years, they actually had to reach out to me. And the only, way, the only way they knew how to reach out to me is because I had applied to the, for this cultural diversity tuition waiver. Um, so then they were obviously, you know, because you, be, you could be black, Hispanic, Native American, um, any of those kind of three minorities and you could get this cultural diversity waiver. So, so you got on it, a list. Yeah. So then you got on a list and they called you and then it was like, oh, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. sure. I'll, I'll try that. Um, it was extra work. It did to speak to, to DeMar about, I would have had to take a job like yourself if I didn't have that extra thesis so but that thesis was an extra job in a way so it it, 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 like you're still having to fill that gap Mm -hmm. there's just no you know there's there's if you're a first-time generation too and then you're probably lower middle class at best that's what I was coming up we I mean we grew up pretty poor and then
3: you know you don't have that backbone and that support and Lance and I talk about a lot you know I went into into the army to help pay for it um, so that's what helped me, which is a job, I guess, for sure. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of people we talk, about, <laughs> we talk about that don't do any of that and they take out massive student loans. Yeah. And, you know, some of the people that aren't taking out that job too, it's like they don't realize until afterwards the, the burden that those massive yeah. student loans take too. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of on both sides. And I, my wife almost went to, you know, one of these private schools um, not not private in, you know, like Harvard, private in, um, you know, online state, I felt like they were just going to take her money. And they they were actually very proactive of, you know, saying where the scholarship are, because then they can get the government to pay for her to go. And I don't know if the universities have that ambition as much as maybe the private money making colleges, not to put judgment on either way, but I feel like that's probably where it's lacking at least. In I have one what, part. Yeah. I remember well, did, I took a semester off. I, t- I did summer school. So I can't
4: remember who was talking about how you find all these scholarships, right? Specifically for minority, minority architects or minority anybody. I, I remember taking uh, two days in a row in, in between summer courses. Like and I would just sit there at the computer and look on Google and try to find them and start calling and stuff. So there was no real directory. And after I talked to enough people, I kind of just nudged them as like, can you, have you guys ever considered making a directory? <laughs> it would be pretty easy. You know?
2: like,
4: yeah. We need some help here. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe I got maybe maybe we should start a non-profit Demetrius and, and uh, start a directory to help people. I have no There idea. was no Google but, when
1: we went to school. So
4: yeah,
6: <laughs> when
4: I was a- right on the
1: cusp of Google.
0: When I was applying for um, undergrad, I actually did my undergrad in engineering. Um, there is an, there is a directory, but it's outdated, um, and it's so it's useless. I've noticed it's, it's yeah, useless. <laughs> it's yeah. useless. So I was I was lucky and lucky enough to be put in a position where I had like the extracurriculars in high school, and I was able to be a part of these different organizations who were able to give me scholarships. But it still comes down to those scholarships weren't enough and you still have to go out and find more but you can't really do that because you don't have the resources so
5: yeah yeah i let me just introduce our next guest here and kyra you're welcome to stay or you can go because you're booked for a half hour but it's zoom so we can have 50 people on here so if you want to stay and stick around you're welcome to and if you need to drop off you're you, we can say goodbye
0: okay
5: uh, um laura teagarden welcome hey mark Hey, laura. how are you
10: Hey Evan Cormac, so hi hey, friendly
5: hey, hey, faces. Uh, Evan, did you did you invite Laura to join us?
1: I invited Laura because uh, I haven't seen her in a while, and I yeah. thought it would be fun to talk to her. And uh, we
5: we missed her donuts at the yes.
1: expo, <laughs> yeah. and so we needed
5: to have her here. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah.
10: I did not ship donuts, so oh,
5: I was waiting for them. But DoorDash thinking. was ringing the doorbell. <laughs>
2: Kira, I wanted to ask one question to you. Um, so you've been interviewing a lot of people for your podcast. I mean, you hear DeMar's story, you hear Demetrius' story, you hear Lance's story about, you know, not having access to, you know, the knowledge. It, do you hear that as a common thread throughout all of the interviews that that's, you know, something that is just unavailable or at least just unaware of?
0: Yes. Um, I've noticed I actually, I really need to sit down and go through everyone's like, and <laughs> compile it all together. Um, but that is the common theme, um, a lack of resources, a lack of knowledge, um, a lack of awareness. Um, a lot of people aren't aware that there are this many Black architects. They're, they don't know what schools will provide the best um, resources, what schools can actually help them with specifically, which, I guess, discipline. In architecture, see, I'm still in the engineering mindset, so I don't know, <laughs> healthcare, residential, like I'll refer to it as disciplines. They don't know which schools offer what, um, but definitely it comes down to just not having a mentor. That is the, the number one thing I've seen across the board is not having a mentor, not having someone that you can speak to, not having someone you can look up to, have those real heart-to-heart one-on-one conversations with, and I think... Personally, that is that is it. Really, if you have someone that you can look up to, you might be able well, you will be able to become a licensed black architect. So
1: I feel yeah. like like that's a great topic to, to maybe shift a little into just because now with everybody dealing from being in remote locations and you can't actively pursue a mentor face to face, but now there's this huge opportunity to reach out and obviously the internet makes all kinds of things possible. And and one of the reasons I wanted to have Laura on the on this today was, was to talk about, she does a lot of work directly with the Young Architects Forum. She has a book that she published to help people get licensed and speak about, I mean, that's a great topic for you, Laura, to speak directly to is mentorship and how I think a lot of people in the industry have become enabled to do so, uh, to, to at least offer that kind of stuff out there. Um, and then how how do people get connected with other people? I mean, other than just Googling it, you know?
10: Um, Yeah. I mean, in, in my experience, it's the awkward first conversations on Twitter or whatever digital platform you choose. That's Um, how Laura did it. (laughs) It's, it's the um, listening and reading and, Um, asking good questions or sometimes dumb questions because you don't know what you don't know Um, and not being afraid to ask like, hey, you seem to be really good at this. Um, Can I, can we have a more one-on-one conversation about what this means? Um, And you start to very quickly understand um, the caliber of the person, if they are like, yes, this is all, you know, we can set aside 15 minutes. Um, I can't tell you how many 15 minute conversations I've had with Mark or the Arcaspeak guys, um, versus somebody who's like, well, I've already written about this, go buy my book or, um, so it, it very quickly distinguishes the, the people that, you can tell will be good mentors versus the people who are just in it to continue to, um, promote themselves. Um, and to me that makes all the difference in the quality and longevity of the mentorship too. Um, and the other piece too, that I've noticed, um, especially with digital platforms is it's easy to find the person who's good at the thing you're trying to learn. You don't need a mentor who covers all of the things you need to know what you need to know in that moment. (laughs) And you can cherry pick who helps you with the different things. Um, So in my mind, there's a, there's a generation, there's actually probably about three of them now that are coming through with um, a higher level of acumen for digital media um, and they're not afraid to reach out. And so it makes the mentorship shift easier on the mentee side. Uh, what we are going to need, especially in a remote work environment, is for the mentor to understand that they need to reach back out. Yeah. Um, and, and so that honestly is like the next hurdle, I think, from a remote work standpoint and mentorship um, especially when you start thinking about remote hires. Um, I mean, I know, I know Mark could probably speak to this more, um, especially with his firm and with his knowledge of CBG and some of the inner workings of those firms. Um, but the, the aspect of hiring someone on remote and making sure, you, you just have to be a lot more deliberate with how you mentor that person. Like, Telling them to go watch 16 training videos for the first two weeks of their of their job is going to leave them with a completely different mindset than if you are actively participating in their learning. Yeah, so
1: quite a difference in experience, and I, I think that's one of the things that I am concerned about the most with offices trying to decide when to go back to the office and how many people are going to be there and who's going to be allowed to be there, what days a week and what hours, and you know, there's all of this logistics that people have to figure out. I keep going back to the emerging professionals who do pick up so much through osmosis of just being near people and overhearing yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's important. The ones yeah. who don't put their headphones in and just pay attention. Yeah. And that just isn't going to happen. And and so now I think it just gets further complicated when you've got emerging professionals showing up to work every day because they don't want to be alone in their apartment or whatever. And then you've got these senior PAs who are like, yeah, I'm going to work from home.
7: <laughs> yeah.
1: And they don't ever meet up anymore, right? And so that has to be super intentional, like you're saying. And how do you develop a program that enables that to happen?
10: I think it honestly, I haven't yet decided if it levels or continues to create disparity in the sponsorship kind of playing field. Um, Because if you have to be intentional with your staff, then you're going through a list and under as firm leadership, depending on the size of the firm and understanding, okay, who's reaching out to these different people versus it's really easy to do the kind of opportunistic sponsorship of somebody who's a principal is walking by a desk and they always stop and talk to their favorite person. Hmm. Um, So I think it could go both ways. Again, it's the like how deliberate do you want to be about the process
5: Yeah, I think it's going to end up having to be another system that's developed, right? Because in order to go remote, to go to, to, in order to continue uh, on the path that we are now on, right? We're never Mm -hmm. going back to the way we were used to work, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that's history, right? And so now there is this, this hybrid of, you know, um, office working and remote working. It's, 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 that's how it's going to be from now on. And so now these systems have to be put in place for that to work efficiently and effectively and mm-hmm. so that mentorship and that and that uh the internship uh, part side of it is going to have to be in, intentional like you said Laura. it needs to, there's going to have to be some intentional uh systems put in place any of the business operations of a remote team is super dedicated and and um uh, uh reliant on systems they have to you has to be developed and designed right for it to work and so uh that will have to be uh, another one, right mm-hmm. and, and, and I would also say for um, emerging professionals who like you, Laura, who took it on for yourself to um, to um, to make those connections with us, right? You, in those early days when you were you know you emailed us all the time and you showed up on Twitter and you showed up at the at the uh, the expo and introduced yourself to all of us, right? And there was so much benefit to you for that, right? To have those connections and have that network, even to, to this day. Um, but that will have to happen in in uh, some of it will have to happen in in um, other ways now. But what I would recommend for emerging professionals today is to find a community online to be active within, mm-hmm. right? So I could I could I'm going to pitch the Entree Architect community on Facebook. Um, it's a private community for architects. And just yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, a young architect went in there and asked to be a mentor. <laughs> Can somebody be my mentor? And wrote a little bit about what she was going through and why she was going through it. Um, and she got like 80 responses mm-hmm. uh, to her questions and probably 50 uh, you know, requests to DM. Just, you know, You just have to ask. But you have to find the right community because some communities are not built around sharing. And that community <laughs> specifically is designed to share with
1: one another. Yeah, well, thanks sure. to you, Mark, for making it like that. I mean, you intentionally made it like that.
5: Yeah, well, the people in there continue. Yes, I, yes, it was designed to be that way. But today it's that way because of the people in there protect that culture.
7: Yeah.
6: Yeah, I would highly recommend uh, to anyone looking for mentorship or just, just want to be a part of a community just to learn through osmosis with this uh separation that we're going through um to join the entre architect community um just because there's so much good information and questions that are posed you may not know that you need that answer until like a month from now but there's so much that goes through there i highly recommend just being a part of that
10: yeah i uh, um, sorry go on damar
9: Oh, I was just saying I, I, everybody, uh, I think I'm probably following in Laura's track because I reach out to a bunch of people, and I never really get you know I've never received no necessarily. I think you, of course, massage, there you go a little bit at the first, you know, at the beginning. But, uh, but you know, just if you're honest about what you're trying to learn um, and that you respect
2: them, uh, then they're, they're usually pretty responsive. Yeah, well, you know, what seems to be really good about, and, you know, it started from kind of, we'll go, we'll be way back in the day when, you know, like we started, you know, meeting with Laura and people like that is, is that, you know, we didn't really realize how broad reaching the community is and how open people were to just say, yeah, come on in and, and, you know, have this conversation. And the thing is, is, you know, going back to, you know, the earlier comment about, you know, Make, having access to those and understanding and knowing that that community exists so that you can reach out. And so, you know, I mean, I think it, you know, it's, it's great that Entree Architect um, exists, you know, and then, you know, having those things start to interlink with um, the AIA and, you know, the Young Architects Forum and You know, just continuing to push those communities out there so that they know, you know, that those communities are out there for people. Because, you know, the problem, you know, we always, we always, you know, joke about it in in the firm is like, you know, the people who um, design the buildings, you know, the people who, like, draw a building knows the software and the people who um, you know design the building don't know the software and, and they always have that like disconnect between the two of those And it, you know, that has, you know, constantly grown, um, you know, throughout the, you know, the, the use of BIM and things like that, where, you know, they're starting to kind of meld together but that's a, a very kind of microcosm way of like the community itself. The more and more we have these platforms like Entree Architect and and things like that, you start to get a more melding of sharing information from people to, we just see Patrick has just joined on all the way down to the youngest person on, you know, on this call, you know, and it's being able to like link those together. But knowing that that community is there to link them together, that is what we kind of need to keep pushing. It's a hurdle.
5: Yeah. And, and it's almost on cue with Patrick coming into the call here is, <laughs> uh, Patrick, McLean? just, let me just introduce Patrick really quick and then we can get back into the conversation. Uh, Patrick is a former CEO of HOK. Uh, and he's also the author of this new book, which is sitting on my desk cause I'm in the middle of reading it. Oh, you can't see it cause it's called, uh, designing a world-class architecture firm. Just shake it real fast. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and he's a great storyteller. That book is about the history of HOK and how it started and and uh, Patrick's experience there. And he's teaching what he knows, right? He's, he's sharing all of his knowledge. He's also a founding member of Building Smart. And so with Cormac talking about uh, technologies, communicating with one another, Building Smart, is exa- that's what it's for. And so, um, Patrick, uh, you're going to need to unmute yourself, but uh, I'd love for you to just uh, to talk to that a little bit. And then we can get right back into our our conversations. This is an ongoing conversation. So, Great. hi, Patrick.
7: Hello, everybody. Um, thank you. Thanks for the tip about uh, unmuting. Um, <laughs> yes, um, I wrote the book, and I I don't have a background, so I can wave a book. Yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> in, what in it looks. There, there's what it looks like. Um, I wrote the book. Uh, it's not a book about the work of the firm, although uh, that's the, the typical book. It's it's about the people and the strategies. What what makes a firm go? What sustains it over now six and a half decades? And uh, how do you make that leadership transition from the the founders to the people who follow? And in my particular case, how do you make that transition from drawing by hand on paper or vellum or mylar? to working first on CAD and then using BIM tools. And um, those are all real interesting, difficult transitions. They're all talked about in the book.
5: So Patrick, we were, we were talking about mentorship and, yes. and how young architects can reach out to mentors and how they can do that. And now with this new environment of this virtual world that we're living in, where we're, yes. we have half our one foot in the office and one foot in the digital world, um, yes. that, that that mentorship becomes very difficult. Was there any sort of systems in place at HOK in order to encourage and foster those relationships with, with more experience? Yes. Uh,
7: yes, there was and there is today. Because right now uh, all 2,000 HOK people are are uh, sequestered at home all around the world. And so uh, how do you do that? And how do you stay connected? Well, we're doing it here with Zoom. HOK happens to use WebEx and some other proprietary software but it's the same idea you've got to stay connected and team with people and do serious work Uh, mentoring I'll just tell you one small story when I was thinking about entering architecture school there was one architect in my hometown not a very big town 40,000 people and I went to him and said can I have an interview can I just see what an office is like Well, don't bother me I'm too busy and uh, I resolved uh, that really hurt because I didn't know. I didn't know what it was like. So I resolved if I ever got in the position that he was in, I would never never close my door to a young person wanting to know whether they should study architecture in school or what it was about and so on. So HOK has always been, even before I showed up, um, open for young people to tour. Um, There's a paid Uh, apprenticeship or mentorship program every summer for students Um, and uh, we incidentally ended up hiring uh, at the end of the summer if they're graduating we end up hiring quite a few of those young people Um, the other thing we have is that we have an outreach to every uh, every local school that offers architecture or or one of the other design uh, uh, professions as part of their curriculum So we're connected to the schools, uh, but when somebody is hired and they're brought in, you know, coming into a firm with an office, maybe there are are offices that are 200 people can be pretty intimidating. So we assign every new employee a buddy, a mentor, if you will. And it's usually somebody that has been out of school a couple of years that kind of knows the ropes, but they can still relate to the young person. And uh, that buddy stays with that person for the first six months, Uh, takes them to lunch, introduces them around, makes them feel at home and uh, answers questions of what can be bewildering to a young person coming in and how do you do this and how do I do that, what's that for, and so on. Super important. People are everything in a practice, everything.
5: I'm I'm getting some good ideas for Entree Architect community. (laughs) <laughs> An entree architect, you know, mentorship program where we can do those matches more intentionally inside the, the Facebook group.
2: Well, so I wanted to ask a question that you know, kind of stemmed from a comment that Damar made about you know, not, not knowing that FAFSA existed. And so I, you know, Evan's kind of in this boat now, you know, we've got, you know, seniors in high school that, you know, he's, his son just graduated. Mine's a rising senior. And, you know, we, we've, you know, getting inundated with all sorts of different, you know, ways of, of, you know, paying for college and things like that. But the one thing, and, you know, it's interesting that Alex is, you know, talked about going into the army and I went into the army after high school because I didn't, you know, know what was out there to help me pay for college. The the question that, you know, I, I kinda wanna ask maybe Patrick or Laura, you know, is how how is, you know, say young architects form specifically or even firms reaching out to high school communities and letting them know what kind of opportunities there are in architecture for them. Because, I mean, honestly, I knew I wanted to become an architect because, you know, growing up just outside of Detroit, I had seen, you know, and some people have ever listened to my podcast. I watched the, um, you know, the Pontiac Silverdome um, under construction, I was like, I want to do that. And, right. But I had no clue of how to do that, even to the point where after I was getting out of the army, I didn't have a clue of how to do that. And that seems to be a big challenge to everybody is not knowing the path to get into that. And so, Patrick, it was interesting. As, yeah. you, know, you mentioned knocking on the door and they say, go away, kid. You know, right. I mean, as a profession, obviously, we need to do better reaching out, not to the college level. I mean, because, yes, we, do, we still need to do that, but we actually need to, you know, get them, you know, get them young and, you know, reach yes. out to the, you know, the high school community and letting them know what kind of opportunities are out there. And all the high schools. All, all
7: high schools, yes. Yes. You know, uh, and I was in high school when this happened, this event happened to me where the guy told me that he didn't have time to bother with me. Um, uh, we were, I wasn't in, personally involved in founding an organization called ACE, ACE Mentoring Program. You know about that?
2: Uh, it's five, five years, yeah, five years running as a mentor.
7: <laughs> okay. So it's a, it's just, so I'm sure you all know about it then. It's an outreach directly to high school kids. And, um, uh, we, uh, it's coast to coast and people reach out. To, to kids to interest them not just in architecture, but also in engineering and in construction, because all, all three of those professions are suffering. Uh, people don't think of it as cool to enter into architecture, engineering, or construction. They want to go into um, high tech or something else. So uh, uh, ACE is intended as a way to give students a taste of this and see if it's something that would be of interest. And many A students have gone on then to uh, universities or colleges to study architecture or construction or engineering. And uh, the programs that, it would, that we do with the kids are done in the offices of the sponsoring companies. Yep. Yep. It's usually an after hours thing. We'll give them a tour of the office. We'll give them a job to design something or build a bridge and see how much weight it'll hold things like that to give them a, a, a clue. And it's fun. And the kids learn something and they get exposure. Otherwise, they wouldn't get.
2: Yeah, I, I'll echo that. You know, I've, um, we, our office particularly works with uh, a couple of different schools in um, the ACE Baltimore chapter. And, you know, a, a lot of students who don't even have access to understanding what an architect is, you know, has that opportunity or a contractor or a civil engineer. I mean, you know, run the whole gamut of, of the opportunities that they would normally never, you know, see, because yeah, they do see the more glamorous, oh, I'm going to be this or that. And they don't really see, you know, architecture. And, and so they do have that, but um, you know, I mean, I, I think, and I'm, I'm just curious Laura on, on, you know, in the young architects forum of whether or not there are, you know, outreach. I know that, you know, your, you know so one of the goals of, of young architects forum is kind of like you know okay you're in the profession now let's hold on to you and let you know let's encourage you and let you know that you know some of these you know hard hours and things like that aren't you know that doesn't define the the um, the the profession but you know how how is like how are we reaching out to you know the next generation the generation that's not in architecture school yet
6: mm-hmm. and Mark, um, can
2: you talk a little bit about what the young architects forum is too
10: yeah, yeah. Um, so the Young Architects Forum is a member group within the AIA National. Um, it's a member group that serves everyone from the point of licensure up to 10 years licensed. Um, so the Associates, the National Associates Committee, um, was founded in the early 2000s um, to serve all those who are not yet licensed. Um, we serve the people in their first 10 years of licensure. So we focus a lot on mentorship, um, emerging professional um, resources, uh, how, specifically like EP-friendly firms and toolkits, um, things to look for when you're negotiating salaries, when you're going through the job interviews, when you're transitioning firms, um, how you have those conversations after you're licensed, so that you hopefully do get a bump in salary. Um, but it's also community building and mentorship is part of that. And um, we have been looking in the past and obviously recent events have uh, more strongly uh, pushed those efforts uh, out to our communities about what it means for mentorship back down into the communities. Um, the, The other piece to this too is the, at a national level, um, the YAF operates as kind of a leadership and guidance, so we help provide the toolkits and the resources for the regional uh, sections, of which there are 19, and uh, which then provide um, to the local components. Um, so sometimes in regions, that's really easy to do. Sometimes it's um, a component has a strong enough pull that there's direct link from national to local. Um, but it is providing those resources and letting the local and regional areas implement. Um, so it's it's more of a, here are the ideas, here's what's worked. Um, so the Practice Innovation Lab uh, which studies the future of what practice will look like is a good example of that. Um, it was pilot tested at a national level. It's now been iterated in three different, in five different regions. Um, so from a mentorship level, we're looking at what that means too. Um, last year, we actually uh, began the pilot year for the Align Mentorship Program, uh, which seeks to pair um, College of Fellows members with young architects, um, in small cohorts. So like two to three college of fellows members with six to nine, um, young architects, a geography, notwithstanding, it's all online. Um, with the intent that, um, you are paired with someone who is a fellow who, um, has a good idea of what it means to kind of find the thread of what your passion is in your career uh, to help a young architect align their career with what they hope their legacy means. And obviously that's very fluid when you're three years into licensure, when you're eight years, like that's, that's going to change and iterate. Um, But that's the pilot of that. Um, We are looking at expanding it. Um, We are hoping to expand it in 2021. um, And with the, the soft test at A20, which obviously didn't happen. <laughs> um, but the but the goal is to continue to grow that and let that be something that regions can then iterate. Because I know that um, there are a lot of even local components um, that have good mentorship programs. And the goal is not to replace those things. It's to supplement in regions that don't have that strong of a presence. Um, So that's kind of where the YAF is. Um, We've also been pushing things like what Patrick was talking about, um, ace mentoring. We've been pushing promotion of um, Michael Ford's camps which now just went virtual. Um, We've been pushing how to um, have those conversations with your firms, uh, either to um, help them put their money where their mouth is or to help them get active in the communities. and obviously promoting people who are already doing it really well. So people like Kim Dowdell with the Project Pipeline, with NOMA, um, people like Tiffany Brown with um, 400 Forward. Um, and the understanding too is really important that it's not just high school. You need to get into K-12 because studies have shown That's that by true. the by the age of 10, there's already gender disparity of society as to a girl isn't supposed to be good at math and science. So how do you then start to um, make them feel okay as a high schooler to want to take that class? Um, So it has to start really early. Um, And I'm sure that Damar and Kyra can speak to um, similarities as it relates to that, Um, growing up as an African-American in in their schools. um, There is that kind of, what we're dealing with right now there's there's societal racism, there's issues with how we fund schools um, and so that's what a lot of ACE does too is to try and uh, break down some of those silos and get people into schools that aren't being funded well to um, to help make sure that everyone has an understanding of what the AEC industry has available
9: yeah, and to speak to that, I think uh you know I went to three high schools. Uh, you know, because I was in my wild, rebellious stage, I guess. (laughs) But once I got to the last high school, you know, I'm running out of options. It was out of my district because I was, you know, no longer allowed in my city's district. So I went to a different school when I was only 15 minutes away, but the school was completely different. You know, I went to a largely just Black and Hispanic uh, high school. And then when I went to this other school, It was opposite. And um, they had classes that I just didn't understand. I was already behind and I didn't realize that I was so behind. And um, even just to get into this high school, which is kind of unheard of, they, I only had one class that transferred over from my seven classes that I was taking at the school I was at before. And, you know, just to think like, wow, six of these classes, this school doesn't even acknowledge. And, uh, you know, that curriculum
6: Yeah, I wanna uh, I wanna speak to that a little bit. Is one I was uh, largely in a private school for most of my K through twelve education, and there was a brief moment, two weeks literally, <laughs> that I went to a public school, and uh, the public school education was so far behind where i was in a private school that i got bored and i started to do bad things and get run in with a bad crowd my mom pulled me out immediately and it's like i gotta do whatever i gotta do to keep you in this private school uh so she switched me back and um, was able to you know progress Um, but that's just a note uh just i just wanted to highlight that if a lot of kids end up going into these bad situations because they're bored. <laughs> There's, it's just not stimulating in these uh, in poor or uh, underfunded educational systems. Um, and, and you just have nothing else to do. You have way too much time on your hands. Um, so that's something that I, I'm sure is going to be a part of the national conversation moving forward. I want to just uh,
5: bring Rosa into the conversation here. Rosa Chang, a good friend of all of ours here, um, but, uh, who, who, uh, put Rosa on the list? Cause I want you to introduce her. Guilty. Go ahead, Evan. Yeah. <laughs> hi, hi, uh, hi, Rosa. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. So, so again, I think it's similar story here. We, we miss you Rosa and, uh, we, uh, we haven't got to see you too. in a while. And so it, it's just great to have you here. There's so much going on out there. And I know you've yes. been very active, uh, on Twitter is where I'm, I'm following along with, with the stuff that you've been engaging with. And uh, I just felt, even before that, I felt like you would be a, an, a fantastic add to the show. And again, it's just more selfish than anything. Just wanted to say hi and catch say up. Hi, so, yeah, yeah.
5: So but, you Rosa, can you, can you introduce yourself a little bit so people know your background?
11: I can. So my name is Rosa Shang. Um, I became an FAIA two years ago and kind of this arc of a journey in in um, advocating for not only equity, um, diversity, and inclusion, but now justice. So justice is now ahead of equity. So justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. It happens to spell Jedi and people make fun of it. <laughs> but may the force be with us. That's
5: not a bad thing. Horrible yeah.
11: times. Um, but uh, there's been a great awakening, finally, of you know what we started to talk about four or five years ago and why we need equity and why it's not equality Um, because we have these inherent systems uh, racism and you know uh, gender disparity and otherwise that we just need to unpack and disrupt and rebuild and I it's really unfortunate that it's taken these tragedies that are still happening to make us wake up but I'm relieved that we're all awake right now and that we're going to to collectively move together to save not only our country, but the planet and in doing so, reestablishing dignity for Black Americans and happy Juneteenth to everyone because it's a day of liberation and it's not just for Black America, it's for all of us.
5: Agreed. So I agreed. hope that's a good
11: starting point. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great conversation. starting
3: point. To keep the starting point going, do you want to kind of explain expand on equity versus equality, the difference? Oh,
11: absolutely. Yeah, I would love to. So um, in a framework, and there's a meme going around, but I'll I'll kind of be graphic in my description. In the framework of equality, everybody gets the same exact resources, regardless of the outcome. So if the systemic barrier is like a fence in front of a wall and you're trying to see over the fence, if there's a tall person, a medium height person, a short person, they all get the same exact thing, the box, but the short person still can't see over the fence, which is the you know, systemic barrier. If you look at equity, it's making sure that everybody gets what they need in order to get the same outcome, which is success. So if the tall person in that situation doesn't need the box and they say, hey, short person needs a box in this situation, you know, that's that equity of the resource, right? Some people need more resources at certain points in their lives. And then I get people that ask me, like, well, what if I'm, oh, thank you. You guys are awesome. What if I'm always the tall person giving away my resource? Is that really equitable? And then if I say, well, looking at where we are in the conditions of the world we are in now with COVID, with, like, wildfires, with, like, hurricanes, et cetera, et cetera, we are all going to be the short person probably in our lifetime at some point, and we're going to need the resources. So... Do we say, do we just do a protectionist mentality of like, oh, I need to hoard the toilet paper of all the resources <laughs> and lose in doing that. And we've seen what happens when we do that. Or are we going to say, no, in this certain case, I'm not the shortest person I, I need to, I'm going to support that person with my resource in trusting that when I need a resource, I'm going to be supported.
8: Can Does you be a little helped? bit?
4: Yeah, that, that, that was no though, And plus the graphic, I think that was super helpful. How did so? Where does the equity then come from?
11: So, in terms, so it's a so in history, the definition of equity was associated with money or having a stake in the game or having a vested interest in stocks or something, right? But what how we are reframing the word equity and equitable it comes from higher education, comes from education period, where it was a an arc from segregation, then it was um, about integration and inclusion, and then equity is like the next step, and then justice is the last step, right? So that's that's where the history comes from, is from segregation. So equity um, started off as this racial paradigm of let's make sure that we're not just giving resources all The same to everybody when we know historically the systems have created like through redlining or through Jim Crow they've created the systems of wealth and inequality but how do we undo those systems and while we're undoing those systems how do we jerry-rig it so that we're not waiting you know 10 20 30 years for that system to get unraveled how can we make the effective changes now so equity to me and how I've defined it and a lot of people are grabbing onto it is identifying what the barriers are and then coming up with solutions to mitigate those barriers, right? So if we know that, let's just take an example from architecture since we're in that game. And I've heard from Damar about the frustrations of education, but cost of education, uh, black debt. So we did a research study and that's online, equity by design, 2018 where we looked at student debt across the board. Who has the most debt, who has the least debt? Black architects, male and female, have the most incurred debt from going to architecture school, right? Barrier, right? And then when they go into the profession, historically low paid for everybody, but even low, lower paid you know, in the survey for black architects just coming out of school, right? that's a problem. What, what's the value proposition of going through all that education? Yes, you're going to go save the world. You're going to have meaningful impact. But how are we supporting them if there's that barrier, which is the cost of getting into the profession, period, and then licensure, you know, it's too, too much to fail, right? And then so it's paralysis of, oh my god, I, you know, stereotypes, right? I got to pass all the ex- exams or else, right? And the cost of those exams, and whether or not your firm supports you, that's another barrier. So in equity, it's like, okay, what if we come up with a system, not just for black architects, but how do we come up with a system that allows for scholarships, that allows for paying for these these exams, that ultimately benefit the firm when that person passes the exam? How do we create equitable solutions that, you know, while they're helping the people that are most vulnerable help everyone does that help I know it's a long-winded diatribe
4: yeah I'm funny. just trying to I'm just trying to help I'm just trying to I am, I'm the type kind of person that needs things drilled down so maybe I'll give you sure. I'll give you an example and you tell me okay. if this was if this was an equitable if this was. if this would fit in the category of your equitable solutions okay. or, or the way the way you would maybe like to like it to move so uh, I, I am a 67% for Native American 8% black and 25% Caucasian I went to North Dakota State University and uh, what, what they offered was to any minority student was a, cult, a multicultural diversity, tu, diversity tuition waiver. So everybody who couldn't get that tuition waiver, a portion of their tuition was put into a pool. So that they took some of their equity, put it into a pool, redistributed it. And then I, I got my two boxes or three boxes and they maybe didn't even get a box. And it put me at a level of where I didn't have the kind of debt you're talking about coming up. Is that an example?
11: Uh, so you got, you've gotten money because of this uh, scholarship or uh, debt forgiveness concept. Is that what you're saying happened? Sorry, I, you said it, it really fast.
4: Okay. Yeah, I can. Okay. so what I received was a multicultural diversity tuition waiver. It waived my tuition entirely. So okay. I basically. Yeah, so you had free tuition.
11: And free did they tuition. do that for everybody or just those that checked the box?
4: You had to be a Native American or okay. Black or okay. Hispanic. Uh, it was okay. not offered to Asian. Asian, Asian. They did not count Asians as, as a minority. Um, so the way they paid for it was my counterpart, my business partner, who is Caucasian. Anybody who couldn't check those boxes, they took a small portion from their tuition, equity, money, capital. Yes. Put it into put it into a fund. Yes. And then that's how I got the extra boxes. Is that an example?
11: That's an example.
4: Yeah, it sounds
5: exactly like
4: an example.
11: It's not a perfect example, but it is an example, in abstract, because there's issues with that, in terms of who,
1: who's who's the offered boxes
11: yeah. and mixed mixed race, you know, and and. and I know we deal with race right now as monoliths, but intersectionality is yet another complexity. As mixed races are, you know, naturally going to happen. So, who gets access to the resource? And again, you say Asian, but Southeast Asian should be considered a minority. So, I think it's it's a it's a concept that had warranted a trying to get to an equitable solution, but there is an exclusion in not including Southeast Asians, which are. Asians of color, if you will, they have they are in poverty lines, they have uh, fled war, wartime situations, they are experiencing discrimination as well, not to the same extent, right? But in terms of wealth inequity and access to education, that that's something that could be fixed, right? So it's not a perfect solution. It's a it's a asking oneself, are we doing the best that we can do? And if we're not doing that, how do we make it better? So,
10: Rosa, would the continuation of that analogy to create um, a just uh, system for that college tuition be something like tax-paid tuition where it then is free for
11: everyone? Yes. Within the government, if the government had a program where if you were at a certain income level or below your household income, your tuition would be free, right? Again, the goal is wealth inequity and writing the ship in terms of wealth inequity. And historically, it's been racialized, right? But wealth inequity affects a lot of different people. So if everybody could get access below a certain um, income level, that would be great, right?
5: Let me just let me just introduce Amanda Gattenby. Is that my? Am I saying it properly? You're going to need to unmute.
12: Yes, Gatten.
5: Gat and be okay um, and we're just having a, a roundtable discussion that's going wherever it's going and, and we have <laughs> and I just wanted to also let anybody who because everybody was booked for 30 minutes but you're, we're on zoom so you're welcome to stick around for the whole thing. Um, but if, if anybody needs to drop off, you can just wave and, and drop off and we'll say goodbye and, and thank you. So uh, if anybody needs to, to do that, you, you know you're welcome to do that. Um, Amanda, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? And then, let
6: me uh, uh, let me give a quick yeah, go ahead, Demetrius. Thank uh, you. Pre-introduction, I invited Amanda. Uh, she is a guest on our on Spaces podcast. We had a fantastic conversation. Uh, gonna disrupt our conversation right now a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, Amanda is the VP of Development from Crate Modular, um, and they are shipping container uh, uh, creating. Uh, manufacturing company. Uh, so I'll just do that as a primer, but we had a great conversation on uh, spaces podcast specifically about shipping container construction. Um, and then Amanda, you can go ahead and expand on that a little bit about uh, yourself and Crete.
12: Thanks Demetrius. Thanks Mark. Um, thanks for having me today, guys. I really appreciate it. I know that we can't all be together right now. Um, so this is kind of cool. Right. Um, so my name is Amanda. I'm VP at crate modular. We make buildings out of shipping containers. Um, our recent project was a 150 bed, um, navigation center with homelessness services for the city of Buena park. It was made out of 48 shipping containers. Uh, we built it in four months in the factory and they installed it in four months on site. Um, we also have just signed 75 units for affordable housing in Koreatown, um, 15 units of apartments in San Luis Obispo, and we just completed some middle school um, classroom replacements. We like to replace a lot of the old modulars that LAUSD and some of the other larger school districts have used forever with sustainable, um, very structurally sound container, modular buildings.
5: Just, just, I want to just quickly jump in here. All of the links, all of the references that we've been talking about throughout this entire conversation has, have I've been posting them to the Entrez Architect Facebook page. So if anybody is listening and wants to connect to any of these, uh, I got as many as I could. <laughs> They're in there. If anybody sees something that, or, or see something missing, pop it in there for us. But, uh, I tried to have everybody's links over there. So go on, Demetrius. sorry yeah. to interrupt.
6: Uh, yeah, I'm not really quite sure how to transition this uh, cause I didn't want to interrupt uh flow of the conversation, uh, but this is just a very different one. Um, I personally have been bombarded with questions about shipping container construction. Uh, you know, we're going through a housing crisis, uh, especially in California. Um, uh, Crate is located in Carson, California, um, just a few miles away from me. Um, and shipping containers have been one solution that's been proposed and, and modular construction as a greater, um, umbrella, uh, to address the housing crisis and trying to bring costs down in, uh, in these really high cost areas, um, And so it kind of ties into our conversation about uh, equity and, um, you know, addressing communities that are disenfranchised and trying to bring costs down to uh, and and access to resources that we all need, like housing, uh, uh, good education, and and all the various things. Um, So, Amanda, you talked a little bit about some of the projects that you – have been working on. Um, Is there anything popped out to anybody that you wanted to hear a little bit more about? Or does anyone have a a cross project that's uh, being addressed with um, a project of your own that's being addressed with shipping container construction?
12: Or modular. Or modular. (laughs) I think that container modular especially is really changing. a lot of timelines and so we can affect the construction timeline so that is something we can do we can produce a thousand modules a year which translates to 500 units of apartments um, in a year so that we can do that we've solved for we've actually because we have a state approval with the factory built housing program with hcd we're able to solve a lot of the permitting issues so we get our plans permitted by hcd in 48 hours The longest one has been 10 days. Um, You still have to go through a site review, but it's abbreviated, of course, because most of the factory-built portion is approved by HCD. But there are still some issues that I'm sure you guys all know about and that we could talk about, um, about things that are still holding us up um, and getting these projects deployed just because I can pump out modules out of my factory does not mean that affordable housing is actually being built at the rate we need it. Um, my background is in affordable, so I came to Modular because I had worked for 14 years for an affordable housing developer in Los Angeles area, and I thought that Modular would solve a lot of problems, and it does. Construction timeline, sustainability, we can meet ADA and get factory precision but I have no control over utility companies. I have no control over some of the entitlement issues. I have been very grateful to see a lot of legislation around um, density bonuses for affordable, and we're leveraging a lot of those um, pieces of legislation like SB35 and the TOC as well.
6: Yeah, that was one of the most fascinating parts about our conversation was that arrangement that you have with the state. For that expedited review, basically because you have a system, um, and then uh, can you explain that a little bit in detail? I, I, I believe you said that they uh, send an inspector to the factory to review, uh, just a kind of a spot check uh, to make sure that it's uh, according to the the plans that you've submitted to the state, right?
12: That's right. It's a little more than a spot check. So it's the factory built housing program. And it is state law in California. And it's overseen by Housing and Community Development in Sacramento, it's HCD. And any portion that's built in the factory is they get to review the plans and they get to do the inspections. So we basically, um, we include a full set of plans in our price. So we will design basically the shop drawings for the building. Um, We really are making buildings as products. So we do the shop drawings for the building in space, and then another architect comes along and says, let's pull what catalog building crate has off the shelf, because our catalog is expanding and expanding, and let's drop it on our lot, and then you guys would figure out the setbacks, the parking, and your local and site-specific conditions. So there is still a local plan check but on the site plan, there's literally a grayed out box that says see state approved plans attached. Um, And there's some memo guidance from Los Angeles DBS and some other jurisdictions that corroborate this and say, yes, this is the state law, this is how it works. And we may not require any alteration of your product either. So when we are building, HCD comes down um, and they inspect, when we have a housing project in. The factory, they're there every day. So it's a little more um, than spot checking. They actually inspect every module and every module has a state approved insignia on it before it leaves. Bye, Rosa.
5: Thanks for coming, Rosa. Um,
6: Yeah, go ahead
12: the portion of the work that's done on site is still inspected by local building authorities and the portion of the plans that um, represent the work on site is still inspect or plan checked by local jurisdictions
5: amanda has the pandemic uh had any well i'm sure it has an, it's had an impact in the entire world let me rephrase that how has the pandemic affected crate and and the way it's being delivered
12: Well, I'm actually glad you asked that because I have a, I think a little bit of an unexpected answer. So when the pandemic hit, the very first thing we wanted to do is protect our workforce. Um, If we, we, our factory guys are everything to us. So there's 75. um, We're located in Carson on the 405 and 710, just off Dominguez and Santa Fe.
5: That's in California for anybody who doesn't know.
12: Carson. It's a, very, it's a very LA statement, right? Yeah, exactly.
5: That's why I clarified. it.
12: <laughs> um, and so the first thing we did was split them into shifts. We went to two shifts and an unintended consequence of that was we saw some factory efficiencies with two shifts. So the project that was in during pandemic did not slow down at all and was delivered on time. And it was the middle school in Oak Park. Now, I expected everything to slow down, right? Yeah. As you know, as a society and as you know, humanity were sort of slowing down, taking a breath. Um, and Thank you, Kyra. What that did not happen is my phone kept ringing and kept ringing and kept ringing, and I think it's because I believe modular technology is going to move forward during this time in the same way that work from home technology is moving forward here we are having the conference on zoom Um, but i think modular makes a lot of sense there's the factory controlled environment there's less subs on site there's more of a timeline um, tightening up of the construction portion and so a lot of people have been coming to me with projects that they are thinking to pivot to container modular. I've seen a few projects that have already been through planning and they're ready to to pivot and look at a new way to do construction.
7: Amanda, one of
6: the hang-ups with modular uh, and a little bit with shipping container construction has always been uh, a concern with repetitiveness and aesthetics. Uh, How, one, how are you guys, are you guys working with Architects mostly, or with developers, and then the second part of that is how um, how are you seeing these projects come to fruition uh, aesthetically? Uh, has there been variation, or do they all look like shipping container buildings?
12: Um, those are great questions. Um, so typically, my clients are developers. Um, they're they're looking at this as a methodology, but. I see us as just a different building type. And so we love to work with all different architects. There's usually um, a a design architect or an AOR on the project that's separate from our in-house architect that creates the shop drawings. And that's so valuable because we get to see how different architects and designers treat our medium. Right? So um, that's been wonderful. Um, we do want to encourage replication. So every time we get a, pro- a project approved, a building approved, we now can build that building for the next three years in our factory and it has a state approval anywhere in California. Hmm. So I really encourage everybody to kind of shift and instead of saying, okay, every single piece of dirt needs a new and unique plan for it versus what is this catalog of buildings that we have and where, where are the right lots to put them? Mm
8: -hmm.
12: And every building can be skinned. We have a lot of exterior cladding options. Sometimes you would not believe that it's the same building in a different place because it looks completely different with cladding. Yet another design challenge. I'm, it's like, project runway up in here. So we like to, um, we like to encourage replication and we have a, an off the shelf menu because if we really do want to get serious about deploying more units of affordable housing in 2020, there's time. I have yeah. six whole months. I can build you, I can build you 250 units. So let's look at the ones I already have. Let's cut some design time off and let's get creative about replication in a good way.
6: And you mentioned earlier about the the hangups. What's kind of one of the, the leading hangups um, for this deployment of modular and shipping container construction?
12: Um, frankly, lenders. Um, not a lot of lenders are super comfortable with modular yet. Um, not only container modular, but other types. Um, they're getting there. I, I do believe that modular is the future, and a lot of people are starting to get um, on the train, There are certain lenders that have come to me and come to us and said, hey, we're interested in this type of thing, and and what can you do? And every project brings us, you know, developers bring us their relationships with the banks. And so we get a chance to show them what we can do and how it works. Just the structure of uh, typical construction loans may need to be modified to account for the um, fabrication money.
7: Gotcha,
5: all right. I, I just I just uh, wanted to introduce Bill Janot from RCAT, who's the latest guest here. You're going to uh, unmute. There you go, Bill. Hi, everybody. How are you? I yeah. see a lot of familiar faces. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like our backgrounds? I, I love them. There's take, my, you, take you right back home, right?
8: My goofy brother behind Cormac. <laughs> I think that's anybody,
5: between Lance and, and Alex, too. Anybody who doesn't know, that's Roman Mars from 99% Invisible. Oh, cool. And that's... There's Evan. That's Evan. <laughs> I have a question for Patrick uh, in terms of Amanda, what Amanda's talking about in terms of um, uh, modular building and, and uh, you're a founding member of Building Smart. Is any of the nope. technology with BIM and all the other things that Building Smart is working on, maybe you could actually even talk a little bit about what Building Smart is for anybody who doesn't know, and how that might integrate with modular building?
7: Yes, um, I, that, that's a great question. Uh, I do think that uh, modular or manufactured buildings are certainly in our future. And uh, Building Smart, which I helped found 25 years ago, is, a, is not a modular building maker. It's a, it's a nonprofit international digital standards body. So Building Smart makes and offers standards to integrate softwares for free. So my software speaks French, yours speaks English. Building Smart has a piece in the middle. I can talk French to, 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 to this thing and you'll hear English. We fully exchange data and information with the software that way. So what does that mean? Whether you're building traditionally or whether you're building, which I believe we will all do, just think about it this way. I'm listening, Amanda, to what you had to say. I I would have put it in a broader context. Buildings are not constructed anymore, really. They're assembled. They're assembled on site. The general contractor is a bit like uh, General Motors or Toyota, where they're assembling a building on site. The materials for the building are brought by truck. They're pre-manufactured by thousands of different manufacturers of building products. We don't typically unless it's very special or unique, we don't build buildings one stone or one brick on top of another at a time. We would never be able to take care of our needs. So in my mind, it's if you accept that buildings are, and there are thousands of examples, all the buildings that um, all of us are using or that, that uh, we design contain windows and doors that are manufactured by somebody and plumbing fixtures and electrical fixtures and uh, sheetrock and et cetera, et cetera. So um, the idea of modular is simply an extension of this, where you're taking a bigger assembly of materials that's actually in a self-contained structure. It works really, really well for a project like housing where the modules are big enough for someone to live in. It may not work well for an airport Or something else, but the idea is the same. So uh, I think our future is highly collaborative, like we're doing today, where we're all sharing full information with software, uh, where we're assembling buildings in factories first, either buildings or components, as big as we can get them on a truck, and shipping them to the job site where conditions are often except in LA, conditions around the rest of the world are not not very always conducive to construction. So where the components are assembled in a factory condition uh, first, and then simply lifted into place at the job site, whether that's a whole module like Amanda's speaking of or big components, using BIM tools now, uh, we've seen electrical mechanical contractors because they get really confident about the exact dimensions of, let's say, a, a plumbing tree, they're assembling plumbing trees that are a whole floor, and they bring it in the, in a truck as big as they can get it on the highway, and they lift it into place. And you know what? It works. So uh, I think it's the wave of the future, um, and uh, and uh, it will do. It will be our profession's contribution to finally getting. Um, the art of building in, into something that's akin to more like a manufactured. I wouldn't, the only thing I'd pick at that Amanda said, and I get what she said, why she said it, is I still think of a place for someone to live as a house or an apartment, not a product. But other than that one small semantic, I, I totally agree with it.
6: So what do we, and this is to, everybody on so what do architects need to do to bridge that gap and sort of uh get ready for this this new future and that also applies to technology too um but a possible modular future and technology what do we need to do to to get there
2: well you know it's interesting is so you know prior to coming resettling to the dc area um when i was in florida we did quite a bit of kind of custom modular homes, um, worked with uh, custom manufacturers and basically designed, use their template of, you know, how to design and build a building and then bring it out onto site. In nine times out of 10, it was a much better um, constructed building because we could, you know, because of the cost differential between, you know, building it on site and dragging the, um, the construction out to a very long, you know, timeline, you're actually able to put that cost back into the building and, you know, you're able to, you know, say, cause I was building to a 155 mile an hour wind zone. Um, I needed to, you know, it, it I was one for one with custom homes versus this, you know, versus, you know, a modular home, but I was actually being able to deliver the product faster and cheaper um, at that time. The problem was, and I, in so I was walking around a house that, you know, for if you did not know um, that it was a modular house. You would never would have guessed it was a, you know, beautiful shingle-sided house. Um, and the one of the um, one of the people who were um, walking around because they knew it was modular, they immediately said, "Tell me why this isn't a trailer." You know, like it, it's the the stigma of modular houses, whether it's you know um, shipping container or factory built. Everybody has the stigma that it's this cheaply done thing, and the it's just absolutely the opposite rather than building on site with two by fours I was building in a factory with two by sixes and I was able to meet you know higher wind speeds you know at roughly the same cost because I was able to reduce the on site construction costs i mean the The longest thing that was actually that took to build some of the houses that we built um were the found, you know, going through the site permitting process and getting, you know, the foundations built. I mean, those actually took longer than the 10 to 14 days that it took us to build a 25, you know, 100 square foot home. And, and, but there was the stigma behind that issue of, you know, oh, this is a modular home. You know, this is, this is a trailer park, you know, and it's no, it was just the opposite. Yeah.
6: Uh, I wanted to squeeze, uh, squeeze you in, Bill, uh, to talk a little bit about RCAT um, and the resources that you guys are providing there with RCAT. Um, sure. Talk a little bit about it.
8: Well, we have um, a, a whole bunch of giant libraries of building product information, uh, CAD details, BIM objects, BIM systems, videos, uh, thousands of catalogs, uh, and a great search engine that sits on top of all this. Um, so if you need a spec at uh, 11 o'clock on a Saturday night, you can go to arket.com and, and grab something that'll work for your project.
6: And you guys, um, some of the details and things, they are from manufacturers, right?
8: Yeah. Uh, everything we offer is from the manufacturers. So what you're getting is super accurate right around a, a specific product.
6: Are you guys tying into any uh, modular manufacturers yet
8: uh no i don't think so um let me just do a quick search but i i don't believe so
5: well amanda meet bill bill
8: (laughs) 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 thanks guys i knew this would be productive uh i think i think crate Crate modular
5: would fit very well on rcat.com
8: oh definitely let's see if you're on here
7: crate modular uh, Let me just insert something, and then I'll have to excuse myself. This is Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. um, About people having perceptions about modular construction. Um, Before Henry Ford invented the production line, the assembly line, uh, cars were built in backyard garages one at a time by people that were called mechanics. And uh, the thought was that the only really good car is one that's handmade, and I can still remember my grandmother saying, you know, if you want the best, you've got to get something that's handmade. And you wouldn't nobody would imagine saying that today. So it is a perception. I mean, here, I've got something that's definitely not handmade right here that we all use. And you know what? If it was handmade, it would cost a million dollars each and nobody could afford it. These uh, um the bringing something into affordable range so that everybody can have a house, everybody can live nobly and well, and everybody can go to school in a good, safe, clean school classroom, et cetera. Um, those are dreams that are still out there, and we, we have to fulfill that. And I I don't think it's just modular. I don't think there's any magic bullet. I think it's all of the everything that's been discussed here. Yeah. The one thing I'd like to leave you with is if you squeeze design out of it, you've taken the heart and soul out of it because the built environment should have design at the I center. Guess. And that's the piece where uh, the the architect has to really work to stay in the game here. Right, Because it's too easy for someone to say, well, I can go order up a new school classroom or a new uh, home from XYZ. Why do I need you as an architect? And that's, the, that's, that's more time than you'll have, I think, in the rest <laughs> of today and all day tomorrow. But yeah. that is the key to this. It's not modular versus hand-built or something like that. It's right. Good design is good design, whether it's made in a factory like this thing or whether it's uh, a modular construction uh, built in one of Amanda's factories. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to excuse myself, but I've enjoyed it. And thank you all very much for having me on. Thank Thank you for coming, Patrick, and thanks for
5: sharing your knowledge. (laughs) Okay.
7: Thank you. Bye, all.
6: Yeah, I think that's going to be sort of one of the things for architecture as a profession to step forward and understand this profession has drastically changed and is drastically changing as we speak. Oh, yeah. Um, And we have to step ahead as leaders to uh, sort of help navigate um, because we've, for a long time, uh, designed to the 1% and have to shift to d- d- design and help uh, serve the other 99% as a as a profession. So, um, I think And if we don't, yeah. architects become obsolete.
2: Exactly. If somebody and else absolutely. will. Well, you know, I mean, it goes back to the conversations that Evan I've had, you know, numerous times about. And this is something that I heard from, you know, Robert Ivey I don't know, when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe a sophomore in in college when he had talked about the staggering small number of buildings that are designed by architects throughout the country and how, you know, the more and more we become, you know, I guess stigmatized as the expensive option, you know, the less and less people are to come to us. And so they are turning to modular options and things like that. And so Patrick's absolutely right that I mean modular is definitely a good way to go. It's just, you know, making sure that we contain the the design aspect of that. And that's where, you know, he's right. Architects can leverage us to being able to, you know, bring something, you know, a, something more affordable. That's, you know, easy, quicker, quicker delivery, but is also, you know, beautifully designed.
8: Mm-hmm.
12: So I'd like to yeah. respond.
2: <laughs> go ahead.
12: So, um, We are nothing without architects. We are simply, I mean, we're a factory, we make parts. It's up to you guys to put these parts into something beautiful. And we're just a new material for you to do your work with. But we don't exist without architects. Like we know how to build things. You know, we know how to run plumbing and we know how to run electrical in between shipping containers. So we need architects. And so every project that has been successful of ours, there's been an amazing architect behind it every single time. And then even if we are replicating something, like in my catalog, that architect now has a chance for his work to be replicated and reused. And there's a chance for a design architect to come on on the outside and say, okay, this is what we had, how can we change it and turn it into something else? For instance, um, I have a line of ADUs, Accessory Dwelling Units. And my first one is the Layman ADU, because it was designed by Mark Lehman from Layman Architects. Mm-hmm. I want to have a catalog with twenty different versions, with twenty different architects and twenty different aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And I want you guys to help me showcase our material and to see, you know, what we can do with it. You know, you guys have done so much with sticks and bricks.
10: What can you do mm-hmm. with shipping containers?
5: Yeah. So any of the, any of the architects out there listening who want to uh, connect up with Amanda, create Modular, the link we is would on. We'd love
12: there. to have more and um, different architect design high design ADUs.
5: Cormac, you want to wrap uh, things up?
2: Well, I, I was just going to tell Amanda that you know one of the you know the interesting things that I seem to always find with architects is there, you know, as much as there's a stigma about modular buildings and things like that out in the world, it's also a stigma within the profession of like, you know, why would I go to a modular building rather than, you know, something that I can design myself. And, you know, and so it's, it's this just kind of like cyclical thing where, you know, people are trying to avoid the inevitable, which is, you know, just embrace all of the different tools, just like BIM, just like, you know, you know, we still hand sketch, but we also, you know, design with, you know, BIM tools and things like that you know and and so um, just yeah
5: I think that's a common theme for our entire conversation from beginning to start the world is changing the profession is changing and is changing rapidly in every aspect everywhere you turn and if you if you do not embrace the change and take hold of it yep and and become part of it you're going to be left behind in everything Absolutely. that we talked t- about today. Mm-hmm. So I, would ju- I just wanted to wrap things up. We're, we're past our, our time here. Um, I wanted to thank everybody who was here today, Kyra Williams, Damar Matthews, Laura t. Garden, um, Patrick McLamey, Rosa Shang, Amanda Gattonby, um, and Bill Janot from RCAT. All of us, uh, we, we thank you, Bill, and RCAT so much for all the support that you've given us uh, as a community, over the years at oh, ArcaSpeak, yeah. at at um, Inside the Firm, Spaces Podcast, Entree Architect, and all of the architects, um, you are, uh, you and your team at Arcat have done so much for us in terms of support, both technically as well as financially. So thank you very much for yeah. doing that, and and hence the the uh, the Arcast 2020. So thank okay. you, Bill.
8: It's our pleasure. Thank
5: all you right, so. so th- Thank you all for uh, a very, very interesting conversation. Absolutely. Uh, Very powerful from beginning to end. Uh, It is available on Facebook at Entree Architect Architect Facebook page. So if you can just go to the page, you'll find it. All the links of everything that we talked about, I tried to put there, including the links to all the the podcasts uh, that we're all from. If anybody wants to go subscribe to all of our podcasts, that would be helpful. Um, RCAT.com. You can go to ARCAT and check out ARCAT and everything they do. Um, Thank you. Thank you all for being here.
6: Gable Media. Thank you. Yes,
5: Gable Media.
6: Don't don't forget to pitch that. (laughs) You
5: could just go to Gable Media and we're all there. So we have ARCASpeak and Spaces Podcast and Entree Architect Podcast and Build Your Brand Podcast. And now um, Practice Disrupted with Evelyn Lee and uh, Janine Chastain. And Tuesday it's launching Troxel Podcast. Um, that's what you want to yep. listen to it's all about the technology and the future of technology and architecture troxel podcast different. you can find it all at gablemedia.com it's g-a-b-l media.com g-a-b-l media.com thank you all for being here thank you this has been really fun have a great day thanks,
8: thanks. everyone bye going.